Hear the word of the Lord this morning. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him, being Jesus, in a purple cloak. In twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped, striped him on or stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Let's pray one more time over the reading of the word of God. So God, we just say thank you, Lord, for your word, your word that brings life, your word that brings the truth to us in a world that is confused, in a world in chaos, in a world searching for answers. I thank you, Lord, that we just read from the absolute truth, the authority of your word, that it may sharpen us, that it may bring us closer to you, and that it may save the sinner in this room and sanctify the saint. And may we all collectively leave here with one voice saying, how great and glorious is King Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to just let you know that here's, here's my outline for, for this message, and it's just two simple statements. What, what I just read to you is about the love of God. That's pretty easy, isn't it? I think we would all agree, and we've all probably heard the sermon, this is the love of God on display. But I would also add something to that too, that this is not just the love of God, but this is also a display of the hatred of God. Now, I know that seems like a, I'm doing that for a shock factor, and then some of you are immediately going, oh, don't you talk about God and hatred. You know, those two things cannot mix. You know, let's don't, you know I've already given you one chance, and you just blew it because you said that God hates. If, and, 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 and you'll just have to hang with me and see to it that the display of the cross is not just about the love of God, but it is also about the hatred of God. The cross of Christ is about the love of God and about the hatred of God. I'll, I'll iron those out 
um, in, in just a moment, because I know some of you are probably g- gathering your things right now and about to leave, but if you'll just hang with me for just a moment, I think I can do some justice to what I just said. F- when we've gone through, and we're at this climactic part of the story of the Gospel of Mark, where we're at this rise of the story, where right here, we, <laughs> it's one of the reasons why the crucifixion and resurrection is why we gather around and celebrate. And here we are in this story and Gospel of Mark. And, and, and what Mark has been doing throughout his Gospel is two things. He's been sharing with us the identity of Jesus, and he's been sharing with us what Jesus came to do. There's two simple things. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? And Mark has been very clear to us who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And so if you look at just the name Jesus and, and you think about the story of Christmas time, right? Like some of you are thinking, oh, that's far away. No, it's not. It's just a few months away. And when you say it in that kind of context, it makes me wonder what you've got me so far for Christmas. But that's beside the point. What we hear in the Christmas time story is, behold, Yeshua, Jesus. And what does this mean? Savior, the Messiah. He's coming. He's here. And this is the identity of Jesus that Jesus has exposed himself to the people and and, and mainly in in private, right? It's just been in private up until he was cornered by the religious establishment. But prior to that, it was in private. Remember the story? You got to go back to chapter eight and you'll have to read this back on your own time. And when he, when he corners his disciples and he's, and his disciples, and he looks at him, he says, who, who do people say that I am? And they were like, you know, some say you're your prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. And he looks, at his disciples and he asked his disciples the most profound question that still resonates to our day to day who do you say that I am and in this private moment Peter finally well maybe the only time right Peter gets it as he looks at Jesus and says well well I know who you are you're the Messiah you're the Christ you're 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 who we've been waiting for you are the Messiah, the one who would sacrifice, the one who would save us, right? I, you know, that's one time Peter gets it right. Immediately, like for one second, he's at the top of the class. And then the next second, he's being expelled from high school. Because one, he says, you are the Christ. And then, and then Jesus gives his purpose, right? Mark's, Mark's reason for writing this. Well, you're exactly right. I'm the Messiah. And here's what I got to do. I've got to go suffer. I've got to go, I've got to go suffer and die. And then what does Peter do to get him expelled from the class? Oh, no, not my, not my Lord. <laughs> That's what he do. Not my, no, not my Messiah. Messiahs don't die. Messiahs don't get crucified. Messiahs don't suffer. Messiahs don't go through pain and suffering. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, how about a rebuke like that? Yeah. Like, you want somebody to like come up to you and be like, call you Satan? Boy, I'm from the South. You ain't going to do that to me. All right, we pop a I mean, we'll, we're like, I'll give you the right hand of fellowship. I ain't, I ain't Satan, okay? And you would think that's what Satan would be. And then Peter is like, you know, he goes back into his corner being at the bottom of the class. 
Jesus, what is Mark doing there? He's revealing to the people who he is in private and his purpose. That's the story of the gospel. Who was Jesus? And you got to wrestle with that on your own time. And why is this cat so, why is this, this guy so important? What did he come to do? Those are the two questions that are answered here. And then they are revealed to the people, the identity of Jesus and the, after the garden, when Jesus is arrested and they corner him and they put him on trial, it's a very unfair trial. And they ask him, who, who are you? Are you this Messiah or the King? And, and Jesus is like, yeah, I'm the son of God. He's identifying his deity. He's identifying that he is the son of God, which is the uniqueness or the one of a kind savior. That's the story of the gospel of Mark. And we come to this climactic part of the story of now that Christ has been revealed to us who he is, now we see in a Mark type of way what Christ came to do. And I've got like just two little sub points to those other two points that I made earlier. And so you could say I got four points and so I sound like a Baptist. So you got, you got all these things going on right here. And so now I want you to see what's happening in the story of the crucifixion. The first thing is mockery. Look at this, look at this, this little part right here. We have, we have mockery and then we have majesty. And those things are at odds with each other, but you're going to see it come to life to you. The soldiers now are entrusted with Jesus. Remember, he was with the little, the little mob of the, the religious leaders, but now he's been turned over because Pilate turns him over to the Roman soldiers. All right, now these ain't some weak dudes that's you know had to pass some weird you know woke standard to get in no these are these are manly beefy men all right these dudes will crush you they're soldiers of rome jesus has been turned over to them not to just one single soldier but an accompanying of soldiers a community of soldiers and these soldiers unleashed the most disgusting punishment upon these victims. Some victims, some were not. Some were justifiably in this position, but maybe not for the type of punishment they're receiving. These soldiers are going to unleash a destructive beatdown and look, look, look at it here, and the mockery here. Oh, you're a king, they're saying. Well, if you're a king, let's put on some king stuff. So they strip him. They put, down, they put the, uh, the, the, the robe on him. Here's a robe. Put it on, the color of majesty. And then after the robe, they put on a crown. Not just a crown, but a crown that's wrapped with thorns. And they're not going to just drop it on his head. They're going to place it on his head where the blood from the crowns that is penetrating his skin will probably cover up his eyes. Oh, you don't need just a crown, do you? You see how this mockery is just continuing itself out? Oh, you're a king. Let's give you a scepter. And they give him the scepter. They take the scepter and they beat him with it. They spit on him. They're mocking him. Look here. Here is the king. Here's the self-proclaimed king. They spit. They kneel down in some type of cruel parody of worship to the king of kings. Now, Jesus, if I could just say this as a side point here, is not to be observed as some pitiful victim here. 
He's already taken the stance that he is the one who can give up his life. He could take back his own life. He's already said that if I want to, I'll call down a legion of angels and crush all y'all jokers. That's Matthew's paraphrase. He's not to be observed as a pitiful victim here. So why does he doing? Why is he doing it? Why is he taking this brutality? Why is he taking this mockery? Why would he undergo such beat beatings what is jesus jesus doing here he's he is bearing the punishment that sinners deserve because jesus loves to save he is bearing the punishment of sin because jesus also hates sin When we talk about the cross of Christ, if all you hear is love, 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 and yes, I am on board. I am riding that wave because it is a beautiful display of the love of God. But if you have not wrestled with the fact that it is also a display of the hatred of God, then I think you've missed part of the point of the cross of Christ. Because of the cross of Christ, it is a display of his love and affection for us. And because of the cross and the cruelty of the cross of Christ, it is also a display of how much God hates sin. It's nothing to be tolerated with. It's nothing to where God's going to be like, well, we'll just, we'll partially unravel the issue with sin. And we'll just give him a beat down and that's it. No, Jesus is going to bear the full weight of punishment to where it would, the final punishment would appease the father. That's where we get that fancy word propitiation. That means that, that, that the, the brutality of the cross of Christ, the punishment of the cross, that finished work of the cross of Christ was enough because God would hate sin so much that he would come down like us, bear the weight of it so that we can rejoice and walk in the freedom because also of God's love for us. The way that Mark moves on is kind of an interesting thing. And when you've read through the Gospel of Mark, and I've, and I've alluded to this many times, where the Gospel of Mark is kind of like reading a newspaper. You guys remember newspapers? There, there was this really thin paper, and you get them in the mail, and you had your own separate mailbox. We used to have mailboxes, too. I know some of you don't have those. Um, and, and you get these, new, and you just, bam, 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 just reading. Like, like it's just like giving you the information that you just need to hear. That's kind of the way that the Gospel of Mark has been. And so I, I like that because Mark just, he moves right on to the next subject. Like he's not going to belabor points. He goes right into it. And then so he says, they mock him. They put the purple cloak in him. And that's verse 20. And then like he jumps right into verse 24. They led him out to crucify him. That's verse 20. And then in verse 24, and they crucify him. It is one of the cruelest forms of punishment. Cruelest forms of execution devised in all of humanity. Arguably. 
In fact, one of the, the, the historians, the Roman writer, Cicero says, let it never come near the body of a Roman citizen. Nay, not even near his thoughts or his eyes or his ears. Like even the Romans would not participate. The crucifixion was not meant for Romans. It was meant for the non-Roman folk. They didn't even want the other Romans to think about it because of the brutality and the, the, just how disgusting this is and the shame that it brought. They would take them. They would nail their hands to the cross. They would lift the cross up and then being nailed, just imagine this, being nailed to the cross. Then the cross takes a dip into the hole that was dug. And so your body jars with the dip and there's a little bit of footstool for you for you to put your feet on just so you can catch your breath. And they would, it was the pressure of his chest cavity squeezing the life out of him how he would hang there. I believe in medical terms, they would call that asphyxiation. And it's no surprise that in our English, even in our own English language, the term excruciating comes from the word crucifixion. It was nasty. It was disgusting. It was a very wicked punishment that the Romans devised. And it strikes me a little bit, and I don't know if this strikes you also, and I'll, I'll move on from that because I know for some of you with weak stomachs, you're really wary for me to move on. But I think you have to wrestle with that because that is a part of the work of Christ, of his suffering. But I think, but I think it's also interesting because I, I say that because the gospel writers, they really don't deal with, they kind of spare us from all the physicality of the suffering of the cross, they're not preoccupied, say, as you would have watched in The Passion of the Christ, just how the gruesome of that Mel Gibson's movie, right, the, the years ago, just the gruesomeness that that film brought to us was, 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 was really the reality and what historians would say would go through, these people would go through in a crucifixion. But the gospel writers, they seem to spare us from all those gruesome details. Why, why are they sparing us from those details? And I think they're, they're doing that because they're more focused on what the suffering was actually achieving. They're not focused on the suffering, but they're focusing on what the suffering is achieving. They say he's, he suffered, but they're giving us more of why he's suffering, why he's going to. This is like, for example, in 1 Peter 2.24, Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He doesn't, he doesn't talk through much about how much he suffered. He says he bore it. He did it for the sins for us. It's the why. Seems like the gospel writers are more consumed with the why of the cross and little less importance of the suffering itself. He himself, he himself, he dies in our place. God dies in our place. We have a God on the cross. And so in the middle of all this, the mockery continues. Those who were crucified with him, the robbers in verse 27. And you'll see that in verse 27, they, they, uh, in, in other parallel passages. And in the passerby, and you'll notice that in the ESV, which is the version that we read out of, it, it skips verse 28. Don't read too much into that. That's mentioned in John's account. So it just wasn't in earlier transcripts. It's there 
I don't even know why I brought it up because I just knew some of you were probably going to be asking, well, what happened to chapter, verse number 28? Well, there it is. And then you see right there in verse 29, the passerbys. And I've always missed this part. I've always just kind of, I've always passed by the passerbyers. But, but it's kind of an interesting little, little detail right there in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the account of the crucifixion. The passerbys do, what do they do? What does the Bible say they do? They petty. That's what the Bible say they do. They petty. You know what petty people do? They wag their head and shame at you. You're the number one petty betty in the universe if that's what you do. You're just like, hmm. When somebody trips up, you're just like, hmm. Fool too clumsy. Shouldn't be walking anyway. <laughs> at least that's what they do in the South, right? They just look at you like, oh, you're just, you just stupid. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you maybe you looked at your child and, and done that to your child. Like, God, how stupid can you be? Wagging their head in shame. Ain't that petty? I, I've, I've, I've never really paid attention to that. But there's the petty betties of the universe walking by Jesus, just shaking the head. Are you got you just this feels stupid. Passing, look at that, King of the Jews. King of kings. Look at him. Can't even come down from the cross. Can't even save himself. And they're just con continuing on with this mockery. Can't even save himself. The king. Why? Why would he not come down from the cross? Because he loves to save. And because he hates sin. Even in all the mockery. Jesus still, still stays up on the tree. He stays up on the cross because he loves to save and he hates sin. This other word that I'm playing on with is, is majesty. And, that, and I think that's got to be like something we wrestle with here. It's the other side of the equation. It's not just mockery that we see, but it's also Mockery, and I think you have to look carefully at the passage. You'll see that it's mar marked not just by the mockery, but also the majesty. Notice what they, they, they previously said. So, so prophesy, prophesy, say something, say something. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the, the one who hates God, putting God on trial, right? That's what this is. Oh, well, if you're God, then, then, uh, then, then you'll strike lightning from the heavens right now. Lightning didn't strike. Oh, see, there's no God. And that's what they're doing. They're playing this game with Jesus. And Jesus isn't one that you play games with. And, and they, they're like, well, well, prophesy, prophesy. The irony of this is that Jesus has been talking about this. He's been talking about it with his disciples. I must go. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And, he, and it's back in chapter 9 and chapter 8 and chapter 10. And it's fulfilled right here. And then you get like where Jesus rejects the wine here. And, this, and, and we see kind of Jesus like still in control of even his own death. So they offer him this wine. And we, maybe it's some sweet old lady. And, and she comes by and she's like, the boy is suffering. He's innocent. We got to do something about this. And so they get this little concoction together. And then it acts as this, this sedative for him. And so if we could just like, maybe it'll take the pain away from Jesus. But what does Jesus do? He denies it. 
And this is, man, this is so interesting because, because if, he, if he takes it, there are three opportunities that are missed. If he takes the wine and he sedates himself and he relaxes and he's kind of just kind of outside of his mind, then he's lost control of his death. Even though Jesus says, I am the one who has power to take my own life. He also misses an opportunity because one of those two, uh, one of those two cats that are beside him who are reviling against him, one of them has an aha moment and he looks at Jesus and he goes, uh-oh, I think you are who you say you are. And he asked Jesus the question, can I be with you wherever you're going? And Jesus looks at him and he, and he only can look at him because he didn't take the wine. And he looks at the guy and he tells the joker, today you will be with me in paradise. And, and, then, and then Jesus would have never been able to cry out with a loud voice, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. He can say that. You know why he can say that? Because he didn't take the sedative. And then he would be able to look at his mother and he would look at John and say, John, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. How could he do that? Because he didn't take the sedative. Because Jesus is still in control. This is his majesty still on display, even though he has been brutally beaten and hanging now on a tree, his majesty there, that he is still in control of everything. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that we have. What a picture. And so they divided his garments. They're casting lots for themselves. And they decide what each should take. And this is the reason why we, we read through Psalm 22 this morning throughout our worship. And you'll, you, you'll, you'll remember the verse. And some of those verses were weird, like dogs and, and all these things. What are we doing here? Psalm 22, a fulfillment of the crucifixion. Just read one more of those that we already read for, good, for dogs encompass me. A company of Evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, inform my clothing. They cast lots. Mark says, Oh, here is that prophetic thing that you've been looking for. It's fulfilled. It's fulfilled right there. And then the whole sign thing that's above Jesus' head. And you got to look back at, at John's account on this. And he writes that the sign is, says the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. The Jews didn't want that on the sign. But Pilate, in a mockery to the Jews, puts it and hangs it above his head. Here is the king of the Jews. And so they have that sign over his head declaring who he is. They could not and they would not see him. They even say, well, the reason why, if you, you look in this verse, in this, the, the latter part of this section here, well, we can't see because we can't believe is because we can't see. Why, remember verse 32, look what he says. Why don't you, this king of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and we may believe? That's the wrong way around. In the New Testament, we believe in order that we may see. Isn't that interesting? We believe, then we see. It's the spirit of God regenerating us to him. And these jokers had it all backwards. And here we are at the pivotal moment 
the climax of the gospel story. Jesus crucified. Jesus hanging there. Jesus' blood being poured out for the sins of the world. For the forgiveness of the sins of the world. Why? Because Jesus loves to save and Jesus hates sin. He loves to save and he hates sin so much. It's a beautiful thing to wrestle with that you would just have to do it on your own time. And, and, and I just got two quick things here. Then, and then I'll be, be done. So I guess technically I had six points this morning. But just so two quick thoughts and then I'll just be out your way. The cross of Christ is the display of the love of God to the world. It is, it is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. That what? He gave his own son. He gave his own son to be the propitiation, to be the sacrifice, to be the substitute in our place. So that whoever, like I love that, like whoever does what? Isn't that easy? Now I'm not trying to make it like some type of easy believism type of thing because you got to be believing in the right God. You got to be believing in what he's done for you. But man, have we overcomplicated this message and this love of God for his people. Because for, and this is how we've done it. For God so loved the world that whoever repeats a prayer after me, whoever walks down the aisle, whoever raises their hand, whoever does this, whoever does that. You know why we don't do altar calls in our church? Because it's not in the Bible. Whoever believes, believe in your seat, believe going out the door, believe in your bedroom tonight, believe when you are reading the Bible and the spirit of God illuminates it to you. And you ain't got to wait for the preacher to be like, hey, I can't get saved right now. I got to wait for him to say, I pray this, I'm going to do that. I got to do this. Like I, that is not in the Bible. That's why we don't do that here. You believe in Christ, you're saved. That's easy. That's it. You believe in Christ and what he has done for you, right? That he died for my sins. He rose from the dead. I am his. He is mine. And it is because of the faith that the Holy Spirit gave you wherever you are, wherever you had this illuminating moment in your life. It is, that is when the Holy Spirit breathed his life inside of you and that light bulb came upon you and you said, I get it. I believe. Whoever believes will not perish. But I could go through this verse and take a whole sermon out of it. But will have what kind of life? Partial life. That's what some of us believe. I'll have partial life because I'll lose it. And I'll lose it. And I'll keep losing it. And I'll keep losing it. Honey, it wasn't yours in the beginning. It was God's saving, redeeming work because of the cross of Christ that saved you. And because of Christ, the Spirit of God that breathed life into you, eliminated your heart, and you said, I believe. That's why you were saved. It is God's initiating love for us that he so loved us. And there we have it on full display 
that Christ loved us so much because Christ loves to save and Christ hates sin. Brings me to a question of the doctrine of justification. How am I to be justified? And we think this in legal terms. How am I going to be justified before a holy God? You're justified before a holy God, not by anything you can do. You're justified before a holy God because of what Christ did. You see, you, you see Christianity is a works-based self, uh, religion. I've already said some things that already ticked you off. And so I just probably took some more people off. It is a works-based salvation in religion, not on your works, but on the work of the cross of Christ. And because of the work of the cross of Christ, I believe and God the Father looks at me and I am justified And I am accounted as righteous, not because I repeated a prayer, not because I did anything. Because the moment you start inserting, I, I did this, I did, I was a good person. I went to church. I did, I was faithful to my spouse. I didn't beat my kids. I did this. I said hey to my neighbor every day, even though he was a jerk. And I did, and you had this long list of things. My neighbors are not jerks, but you have this long list of things and you present it to the Lord. And the Lord says, what is this? This is nothing. Even your good works are as filthy rags before the holy God. So what are we to do? Thank God for the doctrine of justification. Because when I grasp on to the redeeming of Christ Jesus, he looks at me and I am pardoned. I am forgiven. And that ought to take a weight off of some of us who try to do that whole works thing, that whole, I'm going to work my life and achieve more. Because, because in the end, you're going to have these thoughts and these feelings of, well, gosh, how am I ever going to get over the, all the, the crap I did you know, years ago? How am I going to give over all this shame? And if you're trying to measure your right standing before the Lord based off of your stuff, It'll lead you to that abstract thinking to where I've got all this bad past and I don't know how to clean it up because it continues to haunt me. But because of Christ's hatred of sin, he came down as one of us and he bore the full weight of it. And I love later on when Jesus says, It is finished. It is done. The payment has been made in full on your account. All the debt that you owed because of all the sin you've done has been paid in full payment through the work of Christ on the cross. This is like, in, this is the only thing that, that, that unites us, that, that separates Christianity, what we are in this room celebrating about. I could come in here and I could walk and say, 
I am free. I am pardoned. My shame does not define me anymore. My past does not define me anymore because of the cross of Christ. What a joy. What good news. What fantastic news. Believe it. In your seat, believe it. And go share it.